shaking to everyone. We've got our holiday backgrounds in full effect. I am Darren Karp here with John Thrasher. If you are a sussy radish tier on Shaken and Disturbed, you can see our new, we talked about this a little bit on NMR, but yeah. you can see our new zhuzhed up holiday um, backgrounds. Although, John, you know, I realized you didn't even put a menorah in there for me. You literally put nothing. <laughs> know, like, you never to start. David, like, you literally gave what me nothing. What more do you want? What more do you want from me? By the I would way, like I need a menorah. I would you. like something Jewish in here, but that's fine. Listen, I need to correct you. First of all, it's Darren oh, and go. it's Who John. Mom? It's, oh. And it's my, no, it's mom and dad. But although magic is in our photos, he's also joined us in the room, in our virtual room. He's sitting on this little um, table like a weirdo. Um, if you guys can see this on sus- on Patreon, if you're a sussy radish, you can see magic hanging out in the background as well. So Darren... Next time you intro, you got to look at the room. It's me. It's you. It's magic. And as we've got Harry Potter, we've got Wolverine, we've got the Spice Girls. I mean, I mean, some people believe that like Christmas and magic, it's all very pagan and witchy and all that. That's shit. true. And yeah. I got to tell you. They're not it wrong. Might be. It might, <laughs> yeah, that it might, might be the be. case. It um, honestly might be. That's right. Well, before we get into this week's episode, Darren, we mentioned this yes. on the Patreon NMR that went up, but everyone should be really excited because you're going to have a chance to see Darren on stage in Los yes. Angeles. Yes, guys. I wanted to tell you this again, to John's credit. We talked about this on NMR and I just want to thank him. It's, link is in our show notes, but my really good friend, Darren, Darren G, uh, who John knows very well, used to work with both of us, also yeah. lives in LA now. And yep. we are bringing back our New York City game show January 18th at the Hudson Theater in West Hollywood. It's super fun. It is so low commitment. You come for an hour. And it basically really what fun. we do, we take all of the ticket sales, all of the uh, money that we got from the tickets, and we just put it back into prizes for you guys. Uh, you can win cash. You can win gift certificates. It's so fun. It's just a chance to like have a game show and just like spread holiday cheer. Ooh, I love uh, so that. I, I highly recommend you guys coming, even though it's January 18th. We can celebrate MLK. We'll celebrate yeah, do MLK. something. <laughs> you can celebrate MLK Day. We'll celebrate MLK. You can celebrate my birthday. How about that? That's a couple weeks, a couple days after that. Um, yeah, I will say, you guys, I went to, I want to say it was Darren's first ever one in New York, and it was in August of 2019. And it's really just a fun night out. Like, get some friends together, go participate. There's a lot of like audience participation. Of course, you can, you know, um, volunteer, right, Darren, to be a part of the games. You can volunteer. There's no, there's no like requirement, obligation. Like, I certainly don't want to make anyone feel. bad about it in any sort of way yeah. um but no it's it's very low it's a very low commitment super fun and i highly right. recommend kind of anyone who can come should come but yes it's in los angeles so we're moving coasts and so i appreciate you john for absolutely let me uh, let me talk about it but Listen, yeah information gonna, is in our show notes you could yeah. also go to www.onstage411.com and search for go. the game show and it should be there there you go. And of course, I am taking a big cut as, uh, you know, as the friend. So there you go. Letting of you course. Just come onto the show and just plug. Are you kidding me? Uh, I mean, that's absurd. That's absurd. Um, that's absurd. And I did mention this too on NMR. We're hoping to do some live shows in 2024. So if you're wondering where we will be on stage, stay tuned. Um, Darren, why don't we get right into this week's episode, uh, which is quite an interesting one, to say the least. Let's- Yeah, let's get right into it. Okay, so the streets of Del Rio, Texas, were quiet in the early hours of December 31st, 1999. Okay, this is present day. I've never been to Del Rio, Texas. I've been to Texas. Um, 
But this was a big, I mean, remember like Y2K? I was I mean, just about to massive. ask you. Do you remember where you were on New Year's Eve going into 2000? Do you remember where exactly you were? Let's see. I was I 11. I, I, you know, when I was that young, it's not like I was going to parties or anything. I'm sure I was with my parents. Yeah, just having, yeah, that's true. My if you're family, 11. friends, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, I I don't remember. Do you remember? Okay, I do I remember do. Y2K, though. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that big, massive, like, yeah, oh my it was God, ridiculous. what are the computers going to do? Well, you know? okay. I, I want to tell you, this is what happened. So I was like, yeah, I was like 12 or 13 or whatever. And one of my really good friends, shout out to my buddy Dalton, had a big, huge New Year's Eve party at his house. And his family, of course, was there. But it was like a lot of us from, you know, from middle school, from my class. And I'll never forget, you know, everyone was freaking out. For those who don't know or who weren't, who aren't old enough, because we do have to start doing that from time to time, Darren. Um, letting everyone know like that, you know, you think we're though, old. I feel like people who listen to this podcast I would are, think so. are usually our age or we should pull probably a them. little bit older. Yeah, yeah, we should. Like, We should pull I'm, them and see who they are. Yeah. I feel like a lot of our listeners haven't been born later than like 97, Something, but maybe I'm yeah. wrong about that. I don't They're know. all jumping to their, to their DMs right now to tell us. But anyway, and I was at his party and we were all crowded around the TV, like waiting to see if like the electrical grid was going yeah, off right. at, uh, at midnight. So, you know, it's like countdown 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. The electric went out in the house. And people were screaming. People were That's screaming, Darren. Kids were screaming. Adults were screaming. Turned out it was my friend Dalton's dad cutting, uh, of cutting it off uh, down in the basement at the circuit breaker. Okay. I, I honestly, like, I think now people would relish the idea if just like we could go off the grid for just yeah. like a minute. Like, <laughs> oh my God, if Instagram like didn't upload the year 2024, like we imagine? might all be better off in that I way. I agree. Um, having yeah. this, but. Anyway. Yeah, that's wild. I just remember. Anyway, anyway, quick little you. yeah trip down memory lane since we're almost to December thirty first, twenty twenty three. I know it's wild. Well, yeah. in a quaint neighborhood, retiree Herb 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 Betts had woken himself up early to tune yeah. into his TV and watch the ringing in of the new millennia in right. Australia. Um, also in Seinfeld, that's called the Newmanium because Newman was holding a millennial party, and so he called <laughs> okay. it the Newmanium. Gotcha. Uh, as he sat on resident his couch Seinfeld uh, historian, encyclopedia. In case no one knows. Yeah. As he sat on his couch at around four a.m., he was surprised to hear a frantic knocking at the front door. I'm sorry, four a.m. knocking, not answering. Not answering ever. Nope. I'll talk to you when, through my ring doorbell, and that's it. Maybe not. Yeah. Even that. I mean, when he opened the door, he was greeted with a horrific sight. On his porch stood 13 year old Crystal Surlis, and the young girl's pajamas were soaked with blood, and she was Ugh. using both hands. To grasp her throat. Uh, this is a 13-year-old girl. This is horrible. Yeah. You know, um, Herb attempted to ask what was wrong, but she was unable to speak as obviously her throat had clearly been slashed. Uh, the fact that she was standing up, able to ring a doorbell, right. I, I don't even know. She began communicating to him through notes on a spare piece of paper he had on his counter. The Harrises uh, are hurt, dot, dot, dot. Tell them to hurry, she wrote. Herb immediately dialed 911. And yeah. Crystal had been spending the night with the Harris family, specifically their daughter, Kate, uh, when the two girls were brutally attacked after playing dead long enough to escape, which I think about quite often. I do too, because of I, the I, show. I, I think about, and I, this is probably so dark, right? And I, and I, but I feel but like doing dark, enough though. of this show, but like, I, 
I think about what would happen if I was sexually assaulted or raped mm. or trying to be killed and what I would do if I yeah. couldn't get out of that situation, if I was overpowered, for example. And right. I often have thought about kind of like acquiescing in a way that wouldn't be fighting back yeah playing dead a little bit because i'm like would that make it go fast you know what would be my yeah. fight or flight response could i think my way through this what would be right. what would make me survive the greatest right. chances fighting back or almost doing nothing and sometimes i think it's kind of hard to say but i do think about it quite a bit of just and pretending to play dead yeah. long enough you know and i feel like it's so it hurts my soul that so many women probably have had to think about what they would do in a scenario like that. I hate yeah. that, but you know, sadly you're prepping yourself, you know, it's, it's good to have thought it's easy about to put it, yourself you know? as yeah. scary as it is. It is easy to put yourself into these stories, especially when you're watching, yeah, it that's a lot, true. you know, yeah. I, and by the way, just side note, cause I know a couple of people have DM'd me about this. I am going to watch the doc. Um, Love has won with the female cult leader of this oh, other like, thing this. it's on yes. max so i am gonna watch that and i'm curious because yeah. it's you know if it's a male cult leader it's like all right all the women and children are gonna have sex with me and all the men <laughs> right. are gonna be banished but when Sad, it's a woman i don't know how that's going to manifest so yeah maybe we we'll do a tv see. recap episode of that i think we should yeah um so anyway after playing dead yeah. long enough to escape crystal had run over half a mile to seek Dang. help again her throat was slashed just not sure how you do this as authorities arrived, Herb kissed the young girl on her forehead and told her she would be all right, which is a little weird. Yeah, maybe a little, if he didn't know who weird. it was. Yeah, okay. But nonetheless, it's a story point. Here we go. Yeah. I didn't believe it, he later admitted, quote unquote. And quote, I thought she was going to die on my kitchen floor. Crystal's wounds were severe, but the cut had managed to miss her carter, uh, carotid artery by mere millimeters, and miraculously, she would make it through. Her wow. bravery would not only ensure her survival, but lead to the capture of her attacker, an alleged serial killer named Tommy Lynn Sells. Always three names. Always, Always three. Always three names. Yep, because we want to make sure we know exactly which Tommy Sells this is. Exactly. Exactly. So Tommy Lynn Sells was born on June 28th, 1961 in Oakland, Texas, uh, along with his twin sister, Tammy Jean. Now, their mother, Nina Sells, was a single mother of, uh, with two other sons, excuse me, now, on paper, Tommy and Tammy's father was an insurance agent named William Sells. Their biological father was allegedly a man named Joe Lovin, who, after helping Sells financially, would have him claim the two children as part of an insurance scam. So when the twins were 18 months old, <clears throat> Nell moved the family to St. Louis to be closer to her family. St. Louis? St. Louis? St. Louis. Louis? Andy's from St. Louis, right? Andy He's Cohen? from St. Louis, yes. Good name. Um, look at me being an Andy historian. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, th there, both twins would begin suffering from severe fever and chills, and they oh. were diagnosed with spinal meningitis, which would ultimately and tragically Ooh. kill Tammy Jean. Spinal meningitis is nothing to mess with. I know somebody who had that years and years ago. It was a family member. And it was a very unsettling Brutal. time for her and for our family. So um, not good. Tommy managed to break his fever and survive the illness. And shortly after recovering, he was sent to live with his aunt, Nell's sister, Bonnie Whalepole, Wallapole. Bonnie lived in Holcomb, Missouri, uh, where she would foster Tommy from the ages of two to five. 
And in that time, Nell's visits would become more and more infrequent, provoking Bonnie to inquire just about adopting the young boy. Mm. I mean, obviously, she's already taking care of him. The mom isn't really kind of doing her her side of the thing here. So when word got uh, word of this got back to Nell, she was infuriated. You know, she was feeling betrayed by her sister and she rushed to Bonnie's house to take Tommy back. Well, you know, and then I'm thinking you kind of need to make, you know, at least from what I understand, you can't just adopt somebody without the parent's consent. So I don't know what the urgency is here exactly, but okay. Nonetheless, she took Tommy back um, and back home with his mother. Tommy received, you know, little to no supervision and was essentially responsible for taking care of himself. Now, you know, at this point, he's like five, I think, three, four, five, six, somewhere in there. Yeah. Well, by the age of seven, are, are you ready for this? He was smoking and drinking alcohol. And by age eight, he was befriending older men who lived in the neighborhood. And this would culminate, as you might expect, into him being sadly and tragically sexually abused. And at the age of 10, 10 years old, Tommy stopped going to school and began experimenting with drugs. His behavior continued spiraling out of control until eventually it took a disturbing sexual turn. At age 13, Tommy climbed into bed naked with his grandmother. Shortly after the incident, he attempted to force himself on his own mother while she was in the shower. I mean... You know, listen, he's obviously gone through a lot. He's now 10. Now he's 13 when this stuff is going on. You know, you wonder how much mental uh, mental illness is playing a part in this. How much of that is just his own, his own genetics and how much of this is, you know, a, a reaction to the abuse and the, the horrible, horrible situation that he's put him, not that he's put himself in, that his family has put himself in. Yeah. Um, it's really tragic and, and disgusting. You know, it's interesting. I was having lunch yesterday with um, Jesse Buttafuoco, and obviously we know her mother, Mary Jo Buttafuoco. Oh, right. I saw that. Yes. And, um, you know, Jesse obviously has been through so much, and she is a mental health professional now. And we were kind of talking about this because I was saying how much of it, how, you know, all of this kind of relates back to childhood trauma, right? It's not like right. anyone just becomes bad to become bad. I mean, certainly you can fall in with the wrong people homelessness being an issue issue and stuff like that if you can't afford things and you kind of get caught in the wrong crowd but how much of it is really parental things and she was like oh yeah like you know this is common and this happens a lot and this is always kind of happening kind of from the ground up um fish things from the head but meaning that like it's the parents who kind of bring it down to the kid and yeah it's just so sad and and this kind of seems like another um another one of those things and by the way i'm not sure if we clarified when we say nell we do mean nina sells that was like her nickname Uh, oh yeah that is the mother i know we said nina sells and we just started saying nell but i'm sure it's like a n sells yeah yeah probably something like that yes thank you we didn't clarify that no problem well anyway as we've said this resulted in nell packing up her other children and abandoning tommy see you know instead of getting help they're just like you know you're lost you're bad I'm just going to We got to get away you. from you. Right. Like I'll only love you just the way you'll be, not exactly who you yes. are, even if that's really hard to love him. At yeah. 13 you are young enough I think to get some developmental help here. So it's just yeah. kind of sad. So forced to face the world on his own essentially. Tommy had no choice but to live the life of a vagrant, hopping trains from town to town, didn't doing what he could to survive. Eventually he would find work as a carny, which you know, they work at carnivals and stuff like that. Yeah. 
Pendulet, famous carny, kind of started his life off being a carny, you know, swallowing fire or juggling these types of sure. things. It's not a bad career to have. It's very performance yeah. based. Um, but I think well at that it, point, though, also, it was sort of like a different time. Like it kind of was like a place where people could go make a career or make a life or get paid to be doing sure. some sort of work. Right. Well, sure. Because you, you don't have to have a college education. Right. You right. just have to kind of have <laughs> either some sort of skill or you need to be doing that. And I mean, that is a, there's a low barrier of entry. And I think that's a good thing because yeah. that allows for more people to get types of jobs like this. I mean, this is why I think it's important that not everyone needs a college education to survive. You know, there are plenty yeah. of jobs that don't require that. So. So eventually you'd find work as a carny, like I said, but also a barber, a general laborer, you know, something that probably didn't require a lot of education, but something that he could just put his hands to and do. And he'd spent the years from 1978 to 1999, so 21 years traveling the country, spending time in over half of the 50 United States. And in 1985 is when he claimed to have killed his first victims, okay? He was working with the circus in 85. Tommy met single mother Ina Court and her four-year-old son, Rory. According to Tommy, they met at the fair and she invited him back to her place. He claims they had consensual sex, but after stepping out of the room momentarily, Tommy returned to find Ina rummaging through his backpack. Hmm. And he grabbed Rory's wooden baseball bat and beat her to death. Wow. Now, it's weird because I'm not sure you're not having not consensual sex. So she's looking through a backpack, you know, this could have been something so innocuous to make sure he didn't have a gun or something, you know, she could have been protecting herself. Yeah. Um, unclear unless, or she was trying to rob him, you know, bring him back, rob him. That would have been bad, but I'm not sure that has anything really to do with consenting of sex um, in this way. Yeah. And, you know, my thoughts also go to what has happened in this time. You know, he, he spent those years from 78 to 99 traveling, but right now we're in 85. So like what brought him to that place exactly? You know what I mean? We don't know exactly those details here on the show today, but you know, something we know he has a very disturbing childhood. There was a lot of disturbing sexual abuse going on there. Um, But you know, it all, this is the, this is the question that comes up in so many of our shows is like, how do we, how do they go from, you know, a child going through something to murdering, you know, that's what I'm thinking here. Well, and I'm also kind of curious into these moments also of, you know, they had consensual sex, which I'm sure if it was consensual, both were pretty happy with it. But then to find her rummaging through his backpack, how do you immediately go to, how much damage do you have to have really suffered to literally not just anyone that you're looking through a backpack and you're immediately thought is to kill. And on top of that, you know, he grabbed the son's wooden baseball bat and beat the mother then he also killed rory as well he didn't want to leave behind any witnesses and rory was four years old Mm, at the time so this is someone who has mental issues has mental health this is obviously not for self-defense or protection this is obviously he's he's got this in him and their bodies would be found several days later when tommy would already be on onto the next stop with the circus so it's a little bit of an easy in and out you know you're traveling with these people yeah. Always on the road, you know, almost like you always have an alibi, too, because you're always on the road. Yeah. Now, Tommy claimed to have killed dozens of people throughout the United States, some of which have been identified and some of which still remain a mystery. Only days before Thanksgiving in 1987 in Illinois, Tommy would commit perhaps his most disturbing and depraved act. In the woods, some hunters stumbled upon the dead body of Keith Dardine. Keith had been shot in the head and his genitals had been mutilated. Mm. Back in his trailer home, investigators would find Keith's Keith's wife, Elaine, and their three-year-old son, Pete, 
bludgeoned to death. Elaine had been sexually assaulted repeatedly with a murder weapon, a wooden bat. So she was sodomized to no end. Um, Right. It's hard to even read this. She had been pregnant, and during the beating, she prematurely gave birth. That's really horrible. Uh, The infant was also found bludgeoned to death in the trailer. I'm really sorry for reading these out loud. Um, This bone-chilling crime would remain unsolved for nearly 12 years until Sells' final capture. And by this point in Tommy, in his life, Tommy had become a heavy drinker, frequent user of heroin, crack, and meth. I'm sure for a multitude of reasons, either that's self-soothing, to disconnect or as a way to just kind of keep his killing spree going, you know, as a way to reinvigorate himself. So, you know, and I want to also mention as horrible as, you know, those details are maybe some of the worst details we've ever heard on the show, but, you know, I'm thinking, you know, this is in the eighties. They aren't really, I, I feel like, you know, just to paint the picture of like what these networks of researchers are like, you know, it's not like they can, you know, drop a pin on Google maps and, 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 notice that these really horrible murders that end in women being beaten to death are in the exact same path that the this carnival is 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 going whereas i feel like nowadays that would almost be something that a seat you know any kind of like junior investigator would kind of maybe pick up on so i'd really do think like this this is another example of like the sign of the times being a really big part of the equation as tragic as all this stuff is so Well, in December of 1989, Tommy would have his first serious run-in with the law. Now, you know, like I said, like we've been saying, he's been murdering, but nobody knows this yet. After meeting a young couple from out of town looking for new tires, Tommy stole a truck and took them off to sell to the couple. During the exchange, Tommy would be arrested for public intoxication after running from the police. He was arrested and charged with grand theft auto, resulting in a 16-month jail sentence. This period spent in jail was likely the first time that Tommy had been completely sober in a very long time, and as you might expect, he reportedly did not handle it well. His withdrawal symptoms included extreme anxiety, hallucinations, and episodes of psychosis. Right. Now, while in jail, he received extensive psychiatric testing and treatment, such as therapy and medications, which were things, frankly, that weren't available to him at this time, uh, you know, given the lifestyle he was living. After serving about a year of his sentence, Tommy was released. And unfortunately, it would not be long before he began another violent tirade. Tommy claims that in September of 1991, he killed a young woman named woman named Margaret McLean and her daughter Pamela though authorities have not officially associated their case with Tommy. The following year in the same town, Tommy would be arrested yet again for attacking a 20-year-old woman. The woman invited Tommy to her home where she gave him clean clothes and food. And once inside her home, Tommy stabbed and raped her. The woman managed to retrieve the knife and stabbed Tommy over 20 times before he began beating her over the head with a piano stool again we're and seeing that's that- kind of wild though like where is he stabbing her where is she stabbing him like yeah yeah kind of crazy to even think about these details and it's always Truly. hard to know you know if nothing's on t if nothing's on camera nothing's right. recorded it's hard to right. know so these are the details but like that's just wild to me that they could kind of be stabbing each other manage to survive like the adrenaline rush of all that must keep you alive because it's just a Wow. It's giving me like thoughts of Scream. You know, we did our little Scream episode a couple weeks ago, but it really is kind of like a horror movie in a way, you know, like 
I'm just imagining them like, you know, smashing all throughout the house and just both of them trying to survive. It's like really unsettling. Well, you know, after the being hit in the head with the piano stool, she was rendered unconscious and was left for dead. But miraculously, she'd survived this whole ordeal. Now, once she began healing, she was able to identify her attacker as Tommy Lynn Sells. And he was arrested and charged with malicious wounding. That's Tommy, wild. That malicious wounding. I mean, instead of attempted why not murder, attempted? Yeah. Well, why? Why not attempted murder? And sometimes it's. I was actually having this conversation yesterday with Jesse, but I feel go because sometimes they're. I think that they are trying people for something that they know that they convict to get a sentence, yeah. as opposed to saying there's not enough proof to prove attempted murder. Right. Right. And letting them go off on that charge. So they. I feel like sometimes they. They, they try to charge and know that they can get them on as opposed to being the one that might actually be fitting for the, the truth. Yeah, the truth. Right. Exactly. Well, as a result of this, Tommy was sentenced to two to 10 years in prison, but would only end up serving about four, which I will, I will say this. I mean, obviously it's attempted murder, but we're not the justice system, but uh, four years for that. You know, we've heard of people getting way less for much worse. So I think, you know, four years, I'm I'm glad he was at least behind bars for then. But anyway, while in prison, Tommy married a woman named Nora Price. And after his release, he moved to Tennessee to live with her. And as you might expect, he was not faithful and would leave without explanation for weeks on end. And eventually rejoining that circus, maybe not the exact one, but rejoining a traveling circus. And while at a stop in Del Rio, Texas, as we were mentioning at the top of the show, Tommy began a romantic relationship with a 21, uh, excuse me, 28 year old woman named Jessica Lavery. I'm curious here because I wonder, you know, we see along the stories, women are taking him in, giving him clothes, giving him shelter, giving him food. He's falling in love with, you know, in prison, you know, and let me just tell you, I've said this to Nadine before, there's a pot for every lid. You know, I think we can look at someone and be like, how is Charles Manson getting married in prison? Like when everyone knows. Anything, yeah, that's true. There's a pot for every lid. It doesn't really sometimes matter your yeah. background. There Except are people me. who were willing Except to. Me. Yes. Well, I'm no, a pot you don't deserve that will love. be single forever. It's fine. You don't deserve love. It's fine. But we've, we've always said that. Yeah, um, you've magic's always said that. Your, Magic's your little lid. Magic's enough. Yeah. Magic's, magic's a little my coffee lid cup. Too. Magic's a little famous. coffee cup dish. Um, yeah. But I'm curious here of like, is there anything that would have. Change, yeah. outside of a mental health facility in some sort of way is there something that would have changed his course and course in his path you know yeah. obviously he couldn't stay faithful to this woman but he fell in love with her he moved in with her yeah you know what was that like would that stop him killing well, for a time being or is this just him yeah. continuing to reenact every i i i don't know well and let's not forget let's go back to all the sexual abuse and all the drugs right? and the alcohol you have to wonder what is love to him i mean he's never been shown love so that we are aware of, you know, maybe there's well, it comes ways. in the form of violence, you exactly. know, like getting yeah. into bed with his grandmother, his mother, you equals know, equals XYZ, exactly. Right. So he begins a romantic relationship with 28 year old Jessica Lavery, as you said, and he would ultimately decide to stay in Del Rio with Jessica and her four children. This is what bothers me the most when people have children, right. completely abandoning his wife, Nora, who was pregnant with his child. Mm. And Jessica was a devout Christian and was known, and by the way, keep in mind, Tommy knew love, quote unquote, as a abandonment when he right, was a kid exactly that was love to point. him yep so jessica was a devout christian and was known as a very quiet and very soft-spoken person sticking to his old habits tommy would often disappear on road trips blaming work or claiming to visit his family out of town 
But in reality, he was just seeking opportunities to kill. Between the months of April and October of 1999, so six months, Tommy claims to have killed four people. In April, he claimed he murdered a woman in Gibson County, Tennessee. He says he broke into her trailer home where he raped and stabbed her to death along with her eight-year-old daughter. Mm. This tracks. The kid stuff is really really sickening to me. But he's probably a kid himself. You know, I think he's a kid himself. The mindset of a child, right? Because he clearly was not developing normally. Only two weeks later in San Antonio, Texas, a nine-year-old girl named Mary Bay Perez would disappear while attending a music festival with her family. And unfortunately, 10 days later, her body would be found in a nearby creek, nine years old. Wow. Um, I Yeah, especially with her family. I wonder how that even would square that. But the young girl had been raped and strangled to death. Now, this is another vicious crime in which Tommy yeah. would later claim responsibility for. For that, I think we're grateful uh, just to bring closure to these families. But right. after the discovery of Mary's body, Tommy fled San Antonio and went to Lexington, Kentucky, on May 13th, Tommy found 13-year-old Haley McCone sitting alone on the swings. He approached Ugh. the girl, forced her into a wooded area where he sexually assaulted her, and then strangled her to death. Ugh. And after leaving her in the woods, he then stole her bike, which he sold for 20 bucks to buy alcohol. Yeah. And later that same night, he would be arrested for public intoxication. It would be months before Haley's body would be discovered. And by that time, again, Tommy would be far away. Yeah. When he would return home to Del Rio, and again, DNA... Yeah, you know, not happening at this point. When he would return, at least to not in the way Rio, it is now. Yeah, right. You know, not as almost a perfect science in a way. So yeah. when he would return home to Del Rio, Tommy would o- often attend church with his family. <laughs> there, he met the Harris family: Terry, Crystal, and their young daughter, Katie. Tommy was infatuated with Katie and began forcing a friendship with her parents as a way to be around her. He would often show up at their house seeking counsel from Terry, as he'd often ask for marriage advice. And the Mm. Harris family would later admit to seeing Tommy as a bit of a poor thing, admitting to buying a used truck from him simply because they felt bad for him. So now he's like maybe a little bit of a manipulator in a sense. A little bit. I mean, mean, he's he's befriending parents to like, yeah, to get close to the kid, to go close to the young kid. I mean, this is manipulation at its finest. And while they were busy feeling sympathy (laughs) for him, Tommy was observing the family and planning his attack. And that's even more horrible because you see these people just find the goodness of their heart and you know something terrible is about to fucking yeah, happen. Yeah, especially at church, you know, where people are maybe feeling a little more helpful than than other places. Yeah. Well, on the evening of December 30th, 1999, Terry was at a gas at the gas station filling up his car for a work trip that was taking him out of town. And coincidentally, he ran into Tommy at this gas station. The two men chatted briefly and Terry made the fatal mistake of mentioning that he was going out of town. Oh, no. What he undoubtedly thought of as a harmless remark would actually prove to have devastating consequences because Tommy now knew for certain that Terry would be out of the home, leaving only Crystal, her son, and his real target, Katie. That evening, Katie had invited her close her close friend Crystal to spend the night sharing the bunk bed, and at approximately 4 a.m., Tommy snuck into the backyard where he managed to calm the Harris's dog... After successfully getting again, pa- knowing that he had knowing that they had a dog, yeah, and infiltrating is like, yeah, in a weird way, a good plan because I mean, that's what we kind of talked about with the Golden State no, Killer. You know, he kind of knew the neighborhood routes, yeah. he probably knew who had a dog, give, yeah. give them treats, gonna do all that. And so, that's yeah, that's part of the plan. If you're gonna yeah. try to be successful as a serial killer, you do have to know all that stuff. So, as I said, after he successfully got past the family's dog, he entered through the back door. 
Quietly, he crept through the house, looking room to uh, room to room for the young girl and leaving the rest of the family sleeping soundly. Ugh, this just gives me chills thinking that this is happening somewhere. Finally, he entered Katie's bedroom to find her in the bottom bunk and Crystal in the top. He stabbed Katie numerous times before slitting her throat. In the ordeal, Crystal awoke and his attention turned to her. He slit her throat as well and left her collapsed on the floor. These are these poor kids are just having like a slumber party Can't for crying die. out loud. Can't. Young Katie bled out in minutes, but Crystal's carotid or excuse me, car, carotid 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 artery excuse me i know it's a weird word to like say but it is carotid it looks like oid and that was just thrown carotid yeah Yeah, carotid what carotid excuse me carotid artery had not been severed she laid still and played dead darren as you had mentioned uh, until she heard her attacker leave assuming that the rest of the family had been slain as well her instincts told her to run for help this is when the young girl ran through the neighborhood until she saw her bets uh lights on Uh, as we were mentioning at the top of the show. After authorities arrived, Crystal was rushed to the hospital where doctors immediately began trying to stabilize her condition. Thankfully, she had not lost too much blood and was able to recuperate after her wound was closed. When Crystal was awake after her procedures, investigators were eager to speak to her to see what, if anything, that she could remember. To their astonishment, Crystal was able to provide a clear and lucid recollection of what had happened. She even was able to give a clear descriptor of her attacker, which allowed investigators to create a composite sketch, which would lead to the arrest of Tommy Sells just two days later. So, Looking up a picture of Tommy Lynn Sells. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's. It's creepy. What it's what you would expect. It yeah, like. kind of what you would expect. An yeah, older I'm looking, bearing, I see him bigger now, yeah. guy, you know. Yeah. Well, on January 2nd, 2000, Tommy was arrested for the murder of Katie Harris and the attempted murder of Crystal Stirls. He would plead guilty to both charges and his sentencing trial began in September of 2000. Now, during a trial, a video was played of Tommy walking investigators through the crime scene and describing what exactly had transpired. Wow. Crime scene photographs were shown and the jury listened to extensive victim impact statements. By far, the most moving statement came from young Crystal Stirls with a freshly healed scar across her neck. The courageous teen took the stand to identify her attacker and share what she remembered from the fateful night. The young girl sobbed as she spoke of the horror she endured, moving nearly everyone in the courtroom to tears. How could you not? Yeah, and after a short three-day trial, the jury took only one hour to deliberate. It was decided that Tommy was to be sentenced to execution by lethal injection. He was moved to death row in Livingston, Texas, where he would live out the rest of his days. Once in custody, Tommy would confess to nearly 20 different murders across the United States, although authorities believe him to be involved with as many as 70. Wow. These alarming numbers. And granted, he was only convicted of one to be put on death row. Yeah, that's right. These alarming numbers have earned him the nickname Coast to Coast. In jail, Tommy began painting, often creating works of art with uh, potently anti-Semitic and disturbing messages. Not unlike what we're seeing on college campuses today. So, you know, whatever. That's right. Did he go to Columbia? Did he go to Cornell? Did he go to Harvard? (laughs) Because all of this is possible. Yeah. Up until his execution, Tommy insisted that the only reason he was given the death penalty was because the prosecuting attorney showed Katie's autopsy, showing his inability to grasp the severity of his actions. 
And uh, as a result, Tommy was executed years later on April 3rd, 2014. So he was on death row there uh, for quite a while. I'll say this, you know, we've talked a lot, Darren, about the death penalty and our thoughts on it. As a general statement, I believe that you and I both are very much against it. I'll say, given the disgusting and disturbing and horrific things that he did to everybody, I mean, but especially if anyone deserves it, it would be this guy. Especially sure. the kids. This guy, I mean, I I'll just say some people get what they deserve. And I don't know. That's all I'll say about that yeah. for now. But yeah, really disgusting, really a horrible person. Yeah. Little less evil walking the earth as of April 3rd, 2014. Also so that's coast to coast. Thing. I mean, you know, um, that's really scary. I think we talk about some prolific serial killers, Israel, yeah. uh, uh, Israel, um, what's his last name? Peace. Yeah. Peace. Uh, obviously, you know, kind of a coast to coast guy, you know, was in the military, yeah, kind of knew what he was talking about, but coast to coast just makes everyone kind of freaked out because you're, it's like, everyone's got a, everyone's got equal everyone's, opportunity. Yeah. Here. I was so going to say, yeah. That's what's really scary. Not just in one air and one area, but let us know what you guys think at Carpe Darren at Jay Thrasher. And of course, shaken and disturbed podcast fans. That one was really hard to get to. So I need to end on a positive note yes, and I want to get into sure. some listener shout outs here. Uh, okay. The brush then floss or floss then brush debate is ongoing on our Patreon page. <laughs> That's it's obviously right. the talk of the town, but our friend Sarah on Patreon had a different take saying, quote, maybe it's all the brushing flossing talk, but I couldn't stop looking at all those straight pearly whites on both of you. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, well done. Hey, look at hey, look at us. We've got some decent. I got Invisalign. Oh, did you? Yeah, my bottom teeth. Oh, nice. Very yes. good. But I already have, finished it. A while I was going to say, do you keep going with that or what? But no, but let me tell you, you yeah, know, my dentist ahead. said people with bottom teeth, like because our jaws, our, our mouths tend to, you talk with more of your bottom teeth as you get older. Oh, right. Yeah. People don't pay attention to their bottom teeth. Look at famous people who are fucking rich. They never fix their bottom teeth. Oh, look really? at it now. You're never not going to see it now. It's crazy. I'm going to check this out. I'm going to check yeah. this out. Um, well, I have two quick little shout outs, Darren. They're actually kind of personal. Yes. Um, I wanted to give a quick shout out to my friend Michelle and her husband, Doug, who have not only been longtime listeners of our shows, but just really great people as well. So I just wanted to say thank you guys for listening for all these years. And I'm sending you tons of holiday spirit this thank year. You. Absolutely. And I'm going to throw in my friend, Melissa, as well, who is, of course, Michelle's sister. So love you guys. Also, um, hearing that. yeah. And also, I mentioned this on uh, NMR this week, but I wanted to let everyone know, you know, listen, the holidays are fun. We love the holidays. We're celebrating them big over here on Shaken and Disturbed. But every once in a while, or every so often, you know, you hear about somebody who's having a little bit of a struggle in the holiday season, or, you know, we're trying to remember our families in a different way. And there's a book that I really love, and it's called Clarity and Connection by the author Young Pueblo. And it's full of just little bits of information. It's not a novel. It's not written in prose. It's actually kind of like almost like a poem, a poem book, if you will. Um but it has all types of things that will kind of maybe help you make sense of of times that may be more emotional or, or more sensitive. So I just wanted to give a little plug because I really love it. I love Young Pueblo. You can follow him on Instagram. This is not by any means like an advertisement or anything. It's but, just someone know, I, I came like, across and loved. Holidays have a lot of cheer and a lot of a lot of things to be grateful for. But it's also a serious time of reflection yeah, as well. Looking sure. back at the past year or sometimes holidays that you're missing with people. And so it's right. kind of this approval matrix of like high and low brow of things kind of to think about. So it's always good yeah. to have a little help during yeah. it. You can just you kind of 
positive and grateful and reflecting. Absolutely. So, yes. Um, absolutely. And honestly, what better way to celebrate the holidays with tons of bonus content from your favorite <laughs> podcasters, right. AKA you and me, we have all kinds of goodies on there, including photos, polls, bonus episodes. And if you join our top tiers of Sussy Radish, you get this podcast episode ad free and in video form. You also Hi, get our everyone. holiday gifts. You can see our pretty holiday faces with the lovely background. John Thrasher <laughs> has been creating for us. I can't wait to see what he's going to do for New Year's MLK. Yeah, uh, you know we got Columbus Valentine's. Day. We okay, Valentine's. we're doing all we of got them. All, all the holidays. Okay. We're putting you to work here, John. Right. Yeah, um, I've got to get to work. But yeah, become a sussy radish today. Yes, and and it's the best way, by the way, to support us and to keep the show going. We are independent creators. We started out at a big corporation, NBC Universal. But um, we're doing this all on our own, and you guys have really kept the lights on, as they say. So thank you in advance uh, if you're going to subscribe. And if you already subscribe, especially thanks to you guys, uh, you can sign up at patreon.com slash shaken and disturbed, or just check out our show notes where you can just click a link and go right over there and help us out. Okay, Darren, that's it for this week's episode. Guys, check your freshies, as Darren as I always say. Check your brake pads without pants and you don't need a penis. My God, you don't need a penis. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.